Hey everybody, it's Joe from the UCM. I just wanted to give a quick trigger and content warning for our tour here today, which contains a bit of information regarding sexual assault and some graphic details involved. This takes place about an hour and 28 seconds in to about an hour and 11 minutes in. We just wanted to let anybody out there on our tour know just in case this could potentially be something triggering. So thank you all very much, and I hope you enjoy our latest exhibit here at the Uncanny County Museum. Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. comes to shove how fast do you think you could start a cult if you needed to uh probably pretty slow like i say like a year a time frame year okay yeah interesting why (laughs) i uh i don't know if you've been following the love has won uh thing uh in the news the um Hmm. the cult leader that was found mummified what recently no yeah Okay. Yeah. But, you know, she didn't have like a ton of followers. She definitely was like, you know, <laughs> taking money from her followers and stuff. But, right. you know, she was like a an early, you know, internet chat room cult leader. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely like you could see the signs that something was escalating, but she just happened to die because of either alcohol poisoning or silver nitrate poisoning because she was also hawking like that alex jones medicine okay huh. but anytime i have i've i've listened to her speak just a little bit like from some videos and it is such like it also kind of vaguely sounds like the nexium guy and in that same way huh. the, the way that they talk where they it's word salad. They bamboozle you with a bunch of kind of unrelated things, but kind of are trying to tie it all together thematically. And it reminds mm. me so much of the way that, you know, not not to call us all out, but how people talk in art school that I'm like, I feel like your average art school student could do this pretty well because they just threw together <laughs> vibrational energies, metaphysics, and probably the words Freudian psychoanalysis all in the same sentence. <laughs> and oh, no. and it was mildly coherent. And I'm like, you know, I feel like if nothing else, we know how to kind of carry on bullshit conversations like that. <laughs> yeah, that is, totally. that is fair. It's all buzzwords, man. You just got to say yeah. smart things and you sound smart. And that does mm-hmm. sometimes oh, not work. even not not even smart things. <laughs> no, as long as you have passion behind it, yeah, you know that draws people. <laughs> it's yes. true. That is yes. fair. Yeah, yeah. So first off, today at the Uncanny County Museum, we should introduce our special guest today, Florizel, uh, the uh, creator of Amorous Bodies on Instagram. 
uh, very talented artist. Um, we're so happy to have her with us today in the uh, in the. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> of course. Thanks yes. for coming. Yes. No, we're we're honored to have someone mm-hmm. to have an expert in with us uh, as we talk about kind of the the history of erotic art today. And and in the past as well, sort of trying to contextualize uh, the the cre- how the creative sphere overlaps with uh, you know human sexual urges. I guess I I I, I guess uh, to kind of start, if you wanted to talk about uh, how you kind of got into it, how you saw how you sort of see your voice and your artwork uh, fitting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I got into it purely by chance. I was going to visit a friend in Austin, Texas, and there was going to be a erotic art festival. Um, and I'm poor, I'm an artist. And so having to pay like an entry fee isn't something that I can feasibly mm. do. Um, but he said that as long as I brought a piece of erotic art, I could get in for free. So I, <laughs> I took a weekend. <laughs> yeah, I took a weekend to just create something um, based off mm-hmm. of like a, a photo. And I had mm-hmm. so much fun doing it that I just continued like I didn't stop. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so huh. it's also as an artist, I, I've spent so many years really trying to figure out my own personal style and my own voice. And I really struggled because I'm I'm kind of all over the place when it comes to my expression, but focusing just on one genre and then also limiting myself to only one medium using ink, a style Mm -hmm. just emerged from it. Um, Mm -hmm. So now it's become my main expression instead of something that I just kind of do on the side for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And as far as I guess what my intentions with it is, at first it was purely just to do something that was kind of naughty, something that was anonymous, Mm. Mm. um, something that was removed from my own expectations that I had put on my art. And Mm -hmm. now it's the, the more that I do it, I realize that I'm continuing because there's still this stigma around sex and sexual Mm -hmm. expression. And um, so I'm kind of fighting against that censorship and the taboo characterization of sexual expression. Um, Mm -hmm. And also just asserting myself as a female artist um, and Mm -hmm. celebrating female female pleasure um, Mm -hmm. and the right to to enjoy sex. You know, like I think that Mm. there's this big misconception that only men think about sex and that especially when it comes to like mainstream porn, we see that like it's... Hmm. (laughs) Um, men are kind of like the focus of it like everything is kind of garnered towards their pleasure like women just serve as a tool you know to kind of create Mm -hmm. this pleasure for men when really I think that a lot of Mm -hmm. women also I mean we we also get a lot of pleasure from sex and we think about sex just as much as men I think and Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, but I think also that um, yeah, because it, it it's really nice bringing an artistic lens into it because I think that in 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 a way, art immediately, at least for me, brings in a playful element rather than I think the guilt or shame that we've maybe been conditioned to immediately feel. Right. 
and I mean, yeah, there is sort of that, there is sort of like that thrill at first, I think. I mean, I, like my, I mean, it, from, from my own experience in art school, I think when you're painting nudes and stuff and, you know, you're beginning drawing class and you're doing life drawing and stuff, I think you get, uh, I, th I think there's sort of that first time that you do that and you're like, whoa, this is, this is kind of different. Cause at least for me, mm. it was until mid high school that I ever did a life drawing with uh, nude models. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, you know, start that's uh that sort of initial like feeling of like ew nude oh my gosh i can't <laughs> believe they're letting us do this you know then sort of become becoming more of an appreciation of the human body and i think that's what i've really enjoyed about your art is you know looking at it you you have almost like a t especially like when you post your process pieces you show like the almost like topographical nature of how you're looking at the values and everything mm -hmm. of the human body and like that's you know that's in, in addition to being you know something that you know kind of has like that 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 sexy feel to it is also just kind of a beautiful like sculptural piece mm. as well yeah I've noticed that my my own technical skills as an artist have greatly improved since I've started doing mm -hmm. the erotic work um mm -hmm. I did a figure drawing class before I moved to Florence for a year, mm -hmm. um, when I had really kind of started doing the erotic work. And then while I was in Florence, I did another figure drawing class um, during that time period. And I noticed that things like the forms just came so much more natural to me. Mm -hmm. So it was so quick and effortless. Um, so that's been like a really great thing that's come out of it is that I just feel more confident as an artist when it yeah. comes to depicting the human body. Mm -hmm. um, but also there's that added aspect of it that it's like about the connection between humans, you know, not just like, mm, right, you know, yeah. depicting one nude. Um, yeah. I really like how the forms come together. And then oftentimes mm -hmm. the way that I kind of uh, edit or like crop the reference images that I use, I try to find something that's kind of more abstract, something that, you know, if you're just kind of glancing by, you could you could think that it's a landscape, you know, and only when you yeah. step closer and you, you take a moment to really bring in the details that you realize, Ooh, <laughs> that's what yeah. I'm saying. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. There, there's certainly, uh, like a joy that clearly you, you take in doing that. And like, you know, speaking of, of Florence where we all kind of, uh, at, at mm -hmm. least for a year were uh, in school together there. Um, you know, you're sort of surrounded also by, uh a lot of biblical art but intermixed in with that interestingly is like also this a lot of these erotic undertones of like humanist renaissance artists you know there's plenty to be said about like uh bernini's like ecstasy of saint Teresa, you know where she's yeah. supposed to be having a seizure that brings her closer to god but it also looks like a sculpture of a nun having an orgasm um yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i'm thinking now of uh just now of one of our professors there and actually this was this was my first time in florence he brought us into a museum and it might it might have been the Uffizi. I, I can't remember um but he was speaking very low he was cornish and he was talking about you know he's like 
the Italian government has paid over a million euros for this piece. It's supposed to be the earliest known Michelangelo. And we're going in very quiet through the museum and we come upon it and it's the little tiny wooden crucifix um, with, you know, Jesus's body uh, carved onto it. And we're staring at it for about a minute in silence, just the whole class gathered around it. And I'll never forget, he just says, it's fake. <laughs> and we're like, how can you tell? And then he just says, because I'm not seeing it's, he says, no, he, you know, he says, uh, it's not gay enough. <laughs> huh. He says, I'm not seeing the eroticism of the male body. That would, that would be characteristic of Michelangelo. And I, I've, I've never forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I don't stick it with all, you for the rest of your life. It all feels like the South Park episode of like, um, you know, you know, they're like, are, are, do you love Jesus or are you in love with Jesus? You know, mm. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I guess, yeah, with Michelangelo's work, though, too, you can mm -hmm. uh, kind of see the the ladder on that one. It's mm -hmm. it is, um, you know, it was interesting, too, in in, in talking about your work, Florizel, in this this um, what you were just mentioning about shapes, too, of the human body. And I know, like, for my own finger drawing class and in undergraduate school, which was probably the first time uh, that I was working working in drawing the human body live in a setting, in mm -hmm. a studio setting, and, you know, drawing it a lot and, and, and getting very comfortable with that, which I think surprisingly, even to my own self, I found myself to be very secure in and not necessarily in the, like, the mm -hmm. shock that I thought was going to happen, mm -hmm. which I think is just that part of the conditioning of society of, like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's the precious body and it's scandalous, but that's kind of you know, not true because we're all humans at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But my figure drawing professor would always kind of mention this idea too of, you know, when you're drawing someone to look at the shapes, you're looking at the shapes of the body and how they form and how they kind of come together. And I think it's very interesting when then translating that into into the subject matter of, of your choosing. But then at the same time, you know, using that as almost a way of exploring the work, this intimacy because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's really what it is, is intimacy. And I find that very interesting and in how that can be represented, but then also explored. And it's it's kind of, it seems like to me when, when looking at your work, it's it's a lot less of kind of the objective viewpoint of like, okay, here it is. This is intimacy on a platform. There you go. It, it seems mm -hmm. more like in depth, this exploring of the body, this exploring of, of mm -hmm. sexual relations. And I find that it, it's very interesting because it seems like to... On a, in a sort of mainstream global world that that's a bit different and it can be looked at a bit differently and depending of course on who's representing and i know zan and i have had our share of uh, male artists who like to use the female body as an excuse to draw nudes for other reasons and then kind uh -huh. of claim it as something else which is always a disaster uh yeah, to go like, over it's like you know i think well, yeah, because the the whole interesting contradiction of the whole thing is that, mm -hmm. like like Joe said, you know, it it does feel intimate, and yet it is, you know, so it, it's something that like you feel like you've been granted special access to see, mm. maybe, um, when when you're seeing when you're seeing something like that, yeah, and then you know, like I think in undergrad I had a a student uh, that was in my class and, uh. You know, he was doing a lot of a lot of nudes and some of it was like potentially 
interesting, I guess. You know, he, but he was, he was very, he made a, he talked a big game about wanting to really study the human body. And you could kind of just tell that, you know, that basically it, it was one of those things where nothing is competently rendered except for the breasts. You know, is you're like, wow, you really got the shading right, right on her tits, but not nothing else really. Her face right. is a little warped, and there was something off about all of the drawings. Like you could kind of tell that they were being drawn from a reference that would have had like um, lens distortion or um, uh, what's what's that called when like uh, you have like the magnification effect of in in photography. You know, oh, like God. stuff stuff in the middle is going to appear even right. more even more warped in perspective. And he said very candidly that we're like, so where are you getting your references from? And he's like, I'm just like Googling hot girl or <laughs> I uh, I go on Facebook and I look at the suicide girls page. Wow. Huh. OK, <laughs> that's yeah, like, <sighs> right. Yeah, and then, you know, unfortunately, all those years later in college, I'm reminded that the, I'm reminded Suicide Girls existed, and it was like, oh, right, okay, that was a thing, um, <laughs> that this that this grown man in a beanie is, is reminding me about. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, um, what, uh, what I kind of want to open it up for is, uh, if, if maybe we kind of can talk about what historically has made this divide between, you know, something like that that feels, you know, it's very rooted in in, in male gaze and patriarchy, but what, what there, there, I think there's more to it, like what we will dismiss as pornography and not art versus what we, you know, can consider erotic and still also look at as art and you know as as much of a construct as that is like what what is it for uh for us and uh i i'm really curious to uh hear that from uh from you florizel um it's interesting because i i guess like he was saying that artist was mm -hmm. saying that his sources were coming from online mm -hmm. you know these hot yeah. girls on google whatever um yeah. and my references most of them are from porn um, mm, that mm. I then, you know, I screenshot a part of a video and then I crop mm -hmm. it to like create, you know, a certain interest in one aspect of the body or, right. and then, you know, I put it through black and white. And so, but I'm still using porn <laughs> as like mm -hmm. the main reference. Um, mm -hmm. so then it kind of comes into question, like how, how do I change it? Like, how do I change something that, especially if it's something that's mass produced, like a mainstream porn um, mm -hmm. film that's done by this like big studio in California that's definitely like male produced male director um, yeah. how do I change that into something that fits my female gaze you know mm -hmm. or like my female voice um, mm -hmm. and I think it's all about the intention um, mm -hmm. my intention is to show like the beauty between human connection and intimacy and Oftentimes, mm -hmm. like the space between the bodies is more interesting than just like how the body smashed together. Um, right. <laughs> but I think that also like the difference between porn and erotic art 
it's very intuitive it's something that like you can't really pin down to one definition or one Mm. defining factor um it's more like what um the u.s supreme court justice potter stewart wrote in 1964 he said that it's um he knows it when he sees it the difference between like (laughs) hardcore porn and erotic art Oh my so, God. <laughs> you know, and I think that that's still true to today because mm-hmm. we can mm-hmm. look at porn today that isn't, you know, like a big mass produced, like male dominated, um, yeah, field. And there's so many yeah. different like queer directors and female directors mm-hmm. in the porn industry now who are really changing that whole idea mm-hmm. of the male gaze. And you can see the difference in their films. There's more attention to maybe like the buildup, like the um instead of just like the climax itself you know with like did somebody order a pizza <laughs> exactly like it, it's more about the connection rather than like this really false you know um forced storyline that just kind of right. moves mm-hmm. the the pieces together um and i would yeah. i would look at that as art you know but then mm-hmm. so so then in that case pornography is art to me um mm-hmm. what do you guys think like what what is the difference to you if there is any? Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just kind of speaking from my own thing, from where I'm coming from, because I I think there is something else, like, because at least my my own experience of, like, you know, growing up, and I was definitely somebody who was on Tumblr, and I was also, you know, a teenager on Tumblr pre-porn ban. Um, and it wasn't even necessarily that, like, it was just sort of a given. No matter who you followed, you would see sometimes things that I think were, I wonder about, like, the where the people that created those things are now and how their lives are going. You know, the people <laughs> that were making, um, you know, animated land before time porn for some reason. Um, oh. you know, God forbid, you know, you were looking through tags of hashtag land before time, you know, something that I would think was you know completely removed from that mm-hmm. but you know you you never knew what was kind of kind of come up but it's interesting you bring up the framing because i feel like there was that that was kind of the era where you where you first at least for me and 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 in my age group seeing people cropping recoloring or making what i thought were kind of more um more intimate and more touching shots out of what would otherwise be kind of generic mainstream porn Mm -hmm. or a gif of something and it would just sort of come across and it's like you know you're a teenager and whatever and then i would find like you know if you were seeing a video of that come up or something it kind of wasn't even as um it wasn't as striking as sort of that initial Mm -hmm. like glimpse of something um for me i guess as far as like what i think of the line and i i haven't thought about this in terms of my own art as much as you have but where i was at least coming from before was porn to me was not necessarily sexual i always would think of porn as having more of a fantasy element because Mm -hmm. of because of a couple of instances in in when I was younger, my stepdad had gone to a uh, gone to Temple to uh, see a screening of Inglorious Bastards of all things, and they had a <laughs> rabbi and a and a film critic 
come in to talk about it. I don't know why I didn't invite me. That must have been great to see that <laughs> in, a, in synagogue. Um, but he came home and he was talking about it and it was very interesting um, what they sort of were talking about. And they were talking about it as Jewish porn and that sort of fantasy element. And you know me, like I see a video of Richard Spencer talking and you know what? I want to pick up a baseball bat and start, you know, bashing some skulls. Hmm. Uh, hmm. But because I'm also coming from a place where I love B movies um, I love kind of quasi-exploitation films where you have these very, very egotistical, mostly male director, writer, producer stars that want to have an excuse to uh, to fondle a, a much younger woman and have her in bed and have it on film. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of movies like The Room. I think of Get Even. I think of, you know, even more recently, like, you know, a Neil Breen film um, where there are these male power fantasies that um, because they're not big budget and because they're not, they don't even have the artistry of like a big budget dumb action movie, you know, there you see even more like it's almost like you're cutting away, you're reducing all of the other interesting thing potentially interesting things and you're just left with some guy who had money and opportunity to make a movie and was like i want to have all of these shots of me kissing a naked girl on a bed and you suddenly see like oh my gosh camera work and talent (laughs) honestly (laughs) uh is is making a huge difference here just in terms of what you're seeing you know i'm seeing um you know john dehart from of get even fame or get even fame since he oh my God. can't seem to format the space properly between uh, get and even on the no. cover of his own movie <laughs> no typesetter yeah you know just like you, you know uh making out with a former playmate uh in a bathtub <laughs> with his with a sound with a soundtrack played by him playing over top of it to me there's something that feels so much more dirty than a dirty about that and maybe i'm not using that word correctly but there's something that feels even more fantasy mm-hmm. and uh self-fulfilling mm-hmm. uh about that than you know maybe seeing someone who has a more uh artistic approach to uh to just porn like someone who's like building up that tension building up that energy uh and uh you know that's that's i think where i'm coming from i again i'm i i i i i don't even know if i i I, there's probably things that i could better interrogate about that for myself Mm -hmm. you know and, and my own prejudices and whatever but to me that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. That's kind of where I've thought of it. There's this weird singular ego to singular ego and fantasy to I guess what I would think of as something that is just pure porn or whatever. If if that makes any sense. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah. I think even for myself it falls into that category a bit. Maybe a bit less specific. I think you summed mm-hmm. that up really well, Zan, in this way of the male fantasy and this. Do you want real... me? 
<laughs> well, like I even think of like Come we... on everybody, let's do the shimmy's line. Oh my god, that movie is so weird. I mean, I remember like too when we watched like Samurai Cop with a bunch of people oh my god, and that this is also another instance of like an 80s rip off of um well, I yeah, what what is it? Um Lethal Weapon. Thank you. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's... any cop buddy cop show, like yeah, anything yeah. like that, but this random instance of just like a sex scene but like an over the top one that feels like it's stripped from a porno and I feel like it's not absent mm-hmm. of its tropes. You know, that that pornography's not absent of its tropes, but I think it's you know, the thing I battle with just from mm-hmm. I think even being told is that it all isn't encompassed into that. Anything with a sex scene or graphic is pornography. Mm-hmm. But then when it's an art or film, it's an exception. And I think it's very odd. But I also think that it's worth diving into and kind of exploring, okay, well, why or what is this or how do we make those distinctions? And I'm not entirely quite mm-hmm. sure. But at the same time, I think I you know, the more I think about it, the more I think the intuition does kind of have to come into play. And I think a lot of that even being from, you know, a history of film or even just a history of of men objectifying and looking at women as sex objects. And I think it comes into mm-hmm. play in, in porn as well. Um, but it feels kind of like, in a, if I make a very odd parallel, it kind of feels like, you know, Western, like, genre movies, which, I mean, mm. I'm more familiar with in terms of research because I've done work on it, but... It it's like something that started as a a you know white nationalist pride, this way of kind of re envisioning an American past and making this false narrative, but then recently has been kind of taken over and changed into be something more inclusive, more different, showing mm-hmm. different groups of people who were actually there and, and how that's kind of shifted the gaze of history a little bit. Well, yeah, bit. but it is especially with sort of like, you know, the the queer identification yeah. with cowboys even. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and even like shows like um Godless, which I think did a really excellent job of kind mm-hmm. of flushing out groups of characters that aren't just John Wayne, you know, but not to kind of get away from what we're talking about, but Mm -hmm. I I make this parallel only because I always tend to think of, you know, the past of, of where pornography stems from and how that can kind of arrive to where we're at now. So I think that there's a lot of changes that have been being made. And I think that that's a good thing. Um, But I, yeah, I think where I lean towards in the difference of, um, erotic art or eroticism and and pornography is Mm -hmm. kind of in that in that fantasy i really think that that's Mm -hmm. what splits it up and also this kind of recognition of that and the recognition of sensitivity because i think things that are more sensitive and feel more real Mm. you know more Mm. personal and are intimate like this intimacy feel more in this realm of eroticism that i can actually feel the human connection in that way Mm -hmm. on a more sensual level where in pornography it always feels a bit more you know forced and over the top for its own kind of reasons. And I think that mm-hmm. may be the dividing factor within this, at least in my own opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems almost like porn, like you guys keep bringing up the word fantasy, which mm-hmm. when I think of fantasy, I guess I think of something different because I've seen right. a lot of erotic work, um, like in the erotic community on mm-hmm. Instagram, some mm-hmm. artists use pure fantasy where like they even go into depicting like sexual expression between like vampires or you know like things that <laughs> okay. are like on the very fantasy realm right right <laughs> okay right. so yeah um, that makes sense maybe so, there needs to be another word i think maybe it's yeah i mean when you were talking about like the inglorious mm-hmm. bastards i see that almost mm-hmm. as like an alternate reality um mm-hmm. and so i think mm-hmm. that also applies to a lot of like the mainstream porn 
Um, I think it, there's been a lot of changes to it recently, which is great. Right. But I mean, when we think of like porn, we automatically think of like, yeah, it's this alternate reality of like where there are like no rules of consent they're, you know, mm-hmm. like they're not thinking at all about how the woman feels. It's all about like how the man wants it. And also it's kind of like there there's one body type that's usually shown. Like the, the mm, women yeah. are always very young and like, you know, either they have like comically huge breasts or they look very like prepubescent. So mm. it's yeah, I think that that's kind of there's like a, a very clear format of how porn mm-hmm. is made. Yeah. Um, whereas like with Definitely. the erotic art, maybe there's a little bit more artistic fluidity and expression. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I really try with my work to include bodies of different types. Um, mm-hmm. also like different, um, sexual orientations or, you know, different races of people just to kind of mm-hmm. break up that, that mm-hmm. male gaze as well that, you know, perpetuates in a lot of erotic art today. It's like, it's depicting one body type, always hetero couples, you know, it's beautiful mm-hmm. work, but at the same time, it's like, what's new or what is what is um, honest about this? What right, is yeah. like showing like, you know, the reality and the rawness of, you know, this very intimate moment. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, that that's a that's a good point. And I think pokes some necessary holes in my own definition, because because, yeah, I mean, even looking at like the history of vampires and stuff as like kind of. Yeah, an, an erotic fantasy. Maybe fantasy is not the right word for it mm. then. Because even, like, I think for myself, like, I think... And and maybe this is because I'm someone that's always fascinated with what people are wearing. Like, people that dress themselves, interestingly, to mm. me, are... People with interesting faces are attractive to me. Like, someone who is striking. Like, I... And and maybe this is just like seeing Beetlejuice from a young age, <laughs> but like you know, I I love, you, you know, I n- not that like I fantasize about Winona Ryder, but like I'm definitely like attracted to someone who is like, who who is kind of witchy, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People in big hats, I guess maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But that's fair enough. I feel like that 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 does play a massive part. I mean, even for myself, of finding an attraction of, of what people wear, of how you present yourself in, in terms of even, I don't know. I think it's also that common interest bounds because clothing is always great because it's a form of self-expression. But then you can also, it's like signal to people, you know, yeah. just signaling to people like, hey, you know, I like this band or I really like um, this type of clothing. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we fit into the same category. I think clothing is also just a generally yeah. interesting topic, maybe a bit separate than where we're going. But yeah. you know me, I love fashion. I'll get into it all day, yeah, but, but I think but, it's interesting. Yeah, j- just just that there's like, there's different like types of, yeah, like even even if we're thinking of like, sort of mid-century pop stars and stuff like especially right. singers and you know because like there's definitely the model skinny thing that i think most people attribute to twiggy in the 60s you know mm. late 60s that mm-hmm. that look but you know you even think like earlier in the 60s like i think there were a lot of you know even if we're just talking about women because like the evolution of like male conventional attractiveness is also interestingly nuanced but like you think like earlier in the 60s there were kind of a more of a variety of of body types and stuff and then into the 70s with like punk rock and stuff you had you had your you know your your tina turners you know with you know uh you know 
not not conventionally skinny and very short dresses and then you had your you know your your patty smiths sort of boyishly dressed and very very i'm i'm and i don't mean this in like a disparaging way but like just a very interesting face you know Hmm. just uh that that sort of like beat poet look Mm. yeah and uh i kind i guess we could kind of like use this as a jumping off point for kind of talking about maybe the more historical perspective uh on this type of stuff Hi there, my name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account, while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. So take us back, Joe. Yeah, we got to go way back to, we're, you know. <laughs> to, to, quote, to quote the beginning of the uh, stage play, Rock of Ages, we're going back to a sexier time. <laughs> you know, and, and if the- you were here, you could see this super hot chick driving past me right now. Woo! <laughs> yeah, what a great transitional phrase. I think uh, that definitely I listen. Us- I listen to that soundtrack more than I should sometimes because oh, man. I don't. I don't want to listen to those 80s songs in their entirety. I just want to hear the one catchy part. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair enough. But yeah. I want I wanted to take the moment to kind of take us back to Japan um, and specifically, you know, feudal Japan going into the Edo period to talk a little bit about Shunga, which mm-hmm. is a um, it's a it, it kind of directly translates to spring pictures. And it's an erotic mm. art form that comes out of. Um, Japan around the Edo period, so from 1600 to about 1868 CE, and is utilizing um, ink and woodblock printing to depict um, imagery of of sexual activity, essentially. So it's erotic paintings of both heterosexual couples, but also um, homosexual couples as well, which I thought was really Mm -hmm. interesting going all the way back. And so, you know, these were used in, in... in mass-produced printing material, so for books, for scrolls, but also in paintings as well, which I thought was interesting, that these this type of artwork made its way into like the Kano school or Kano school in Japan, which is like a, a high form of painting, but also found itself mm-hmm. in the Yukioe uh, school of of um, artistic mm-hmm. making, which focused kind of on this everyday and the and the fantastical imagery of the everyday, which I think is interesting and how it relates. But what I find interesting in terms of this historical period for what we're talking about is that it's it's kind of an opposite of a Western approach, right? So, you know, we have to think about the 1600s in Europe is a very different, you know, time. And you have a, also the, what, the Protestant Reformation's happening. So, yeah. but here under, um, you know, Shinto beliefs in, in Japan, there isn't really that stigma of sex it's kind of mm. a part of life and it's something that's accepted. And even to that extent with like women's breasts as well, which was one part that was mentioned. And this kind of gets into like the later Japanese censoring and why um, breasts aren't always censored because of that. There isn't really that stigma of uh, a woman's breast being sexualized, at least in this mm-hmm. culture. So, you know, I, I, I found it, I find this to be kind of fascinating in this way of, of erotic art because it doesn't necessarily lend itself to this Western European version of how we kind of see things it's a bit more 
Eastern in this way, but then finds itself to also be censored later on. You know, in 1868, you have the start of the Meiji Restoration, and mm-hmm. that kind of projects Japan into a an international power and, and where they become kind of, you know, they, they allow in all the European powers to allow for changes and also to help them build up their civilization because now you have a unified Japan and then, you know, we know what happens next. But in, yeah. in 1907, specifically, they passed the Japanese Article 175 of the Criminal Code, which I wanted to kind of read the quote here that states, since I'm not mm-hmm. a lawyer, but uh, a person who distributes, sells, or displays in public an obscene document, drawing, or other objects shall be punished by imprisonment with work for not more than two years. Mm. A yeah. fine of not more than 2,500 2, yen or a petty fine. The same shall apply to a person who possesses the same for the purpose of sale. And one thing I also mm. forgot to mention is that in 1722, Shunga was also banned in Japan. Oh. But it was like, it, it kind of, it's a precursor to this law, but at the same time, it was still like widely, like people could find it. You could find it places. It was so still being in sold. The seven, in the 1700s, especially the early 1700s, that would be, you know, pre Japan opening up to America even. So this is. Yeah. Yeah. Or I guess, well, if it's the early 1700s, the United States doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> never yeah. mind, you know, never mind Admiral Perry. Yeah, that's that's interesting that this uh, that there's sort of like that push for moralizing, moralizing uh, sex in a weird way and. And and sort of that that culture of censorship, censorship that Mm -hmm. was uh, even beginning before then, because I think we're vaguely familiar with the weird conventions of. um, Of. Uh, Japanese pornographic legacy, you know, uh, I, I think even the term bukkake and, uh, um, but, you know, also a, a Western idea of hentai, even mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. idea that you have all of these extremely, to us at least, maybe uh, reading as extremely bizarre sexual situations with monsters and everything and it's more of a way to get around censorship rules because, you know, the, the rules are, you know, specifying sex as penis going into a vagina rather than, you know, tentacle monster. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, you know, I guess, I guess quite a loophole. But I, I guess the, I guess that's always the thing that like your, your immediate kind of assumption of like, why are they bothering to pixelate this if I already know what's happening? Mm-hmm. but but you know J- japan's also you know i like like anywhere else is the is this place that has this uh deep interesting nuanced culture but also has a ha- has at least in the last couple centuries you know a nationalistic streak mm-hmm. that's trying to overly correct for what they see as like corrupting qualities i think like even you know you even think about um Prior to our exhibit here, uh, Florizel, you had mentioned um, something about like even Indian censorship, which is interesting considering that, you know, that is also a region that has uh, a history of erotic art. You know, I, I think most people are familiar with the Kama Sutra, but, mm-hmm. you know, that is a, you know, it's it's not just about different sexual positions. If I'm not mistaken, you know, that has spiritual significance uh, right. and, and history and mythology woven into it. And yet, you know, India is also a region that has a right wing contingency within it that 
you know, has, has a religious and nationalistic agenda to push. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, which, which sort of further complicates this trying to understand different cultures, I think. Yeah. I just find it really sad that in both of these cases, um, Mm -hmm. sex and like intimacy Mm -hmm. was something that was so celebrated before and something Mm -hmm. that was seen as, you know, either spiritual or, or a source of positivity, or even for educational purposes, you know, everything Mm -hmm. was very transparent and open. Um, Mm -hmm. And now there's just so much shame attached to it. Um, And I can't help but think that it's also kind of shame of, of the human body. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just, I don't know, that's very deeply sad and disturbing to me. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, that all all of this reactionary stuff is it 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 is sad because it our our history is made less rich for it, you know. The 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 wish to portray at least in the European sphere, the wish to portray Romans and Greeks as incredibly stoic people uh mm-hmm. you know, erases you know, not not just, you know, their all of their erotic art, but you know, what just just things that are not depicted in a certain way because we just think that they look tacky, you know, even the way that, you know, Roman uh and and I and I believe Greek also uh, marbles would have been painted. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just that they had they would have parties and with and and on the cups. And the Kylixes at those parties, you know, you would have artwork of uh, orgies happening, right? Uh, <laughs> d- depicted there, you know, it's or like on the walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah, was celebrated exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's like this is, um, you know, if you, you're you're celebrating, you know, some other holiday, it's like don't don't touch that uh, that flatware. That's the uh, that's the orgy flatware. You know, we're saving it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's for these special occasions only. But it, it's one of those. You know, it's funny you bring that up too because it's another parallel that I was kind of drawing when you know doing mm-hmm. more research into this is that it seems like a, a consistent thing that happens where there's you know more ancient culture that mm-hmm. celebrates the human body and intimacy in this way and it's kind of normalized, but then later on it becomes more increasingly, you know, removed or not important or and mm-hmm. and just kind of shamed in that way. And I think, you know, even looking at it now, there's a lot more positivity in this realm and there's a lot more, I think, awareness to where mm-hmm. that's moving. And this and I think part of that is because, you know, we're starting to look back at the history of this, of where mm-hmm. this has come from and where this stands and kind of analyzing that further. And I think that that w- maybe will be the push needed to kind mm-hmm. of move us in a different direction with things. Because, you know, I think as conservative mm-hmm. mindsets change or yeah. get removed in this case, you know, I think it, it there there really just needs to be that conversation that has to happen. Because I feel like also a lot of this is just miscommunication in, in a lot of ways or just repression, you know, mm-hmm. of different mm-hmm. things. And I think that that causes way more damage than anything else. I mean, you know, I think, I guess in my own case, you know, growing up going to like Catholic school for five years as well, I, I got out kind of lucky because I never had that, um, what do you call that? You know, like when you go to Catholics. Shame. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that shame education or where it's like, <laughs> we're not going to teach you anything. It's just going to mm-hmm. be this. And like, I never had that happen. I got lucky. Mm-hmm. I know for a lot of people, that's a completely different experience. You went to the cool Catholic school. That's a stretch. It the was nuns not great. Came in, the nuns sat in backwards on the chair. 
I mean, they, <laughs> through, the t- through the textbook, through the textbook and the garbage. They wore can. like everyday clothes, so I guess that was like a step up. It was a bit more. Yeah, it was. Wow. It's, yeah. I don't have. Well, great you, memories, you realize but... that there's like chill versions of people in Orthodox religions, like. There was a race near, because, um, you know, like, I, I grew up doing, like, 5Ks and 10Ks with my family, um, mm. and there was a race around Taylor Park in Clearwater, Florida, and um, it was called Run with the Nuns, and you would chase a nun on a bicycle around <laughs> the lake for the 5K, what? and my mom, who went to Catholic school and has scars on her hands from getting hit with rulers. Jesus yeah is was like shocked that there was that the nun could wear sneakers to uh huh. to, to keep ahead of the to lead the pack and you know that's but then you know you you drive around and you see like you know at least now that i live in boston you know you you walk around you can kind of spot what's the cool church what's the cool synagogue yeah. you know the ones with black lives matter flags out in front and stuff mm-hmm. you know you're like yeah, yeah, they're they're probably a little more chill, but yeah, it, that's not that I, I have to keep in mind. That is not everyone's experiences with with yeah. Catholicism. Yeah. Well, even in public school, um, mm-hmm, sex mm-hmm. education was lacking, and I think it, it yeah. continues to be um, where mm-hmm, it was very mm-hmm. much like shock value, and we never saw a depiction of or a photo of mm-hmm. a vulva or a penis mm-hmm. without there being like grotesque sores and things mm-hmm. like that. And so I think. Um, you know, that a lot of teenagers then and now their sex education is coming from porn and unless they're actively seeking out, you know, like the amateur videos that really, I guess, do a better job of depicting like, you know, all stages of, of a sexual experience, they're seeing Mm -hmm. like these very mainstream, like short clips where it's just like very problematic, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of like how the women are treated or, or, you know, mm-hmm. these teenage girls think that they have to deep throat and, you know, like that's, that's not normal. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just kind of, I don't know, it, it perpetuates this really bad culture around like consent and, and pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that was in our conversation really at all. I think looking back now, I'm like kind of, I'm kind of vaguely aware that in like middle school health, maybe we went over what sex was briefly, but I don't even remember it. Mm. Really, I remember us having to read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teenagers. (laughs) That sounds very familiar. Yeah, which was like, it was like the version of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I think... I'm, I, which I've never read, and I uh-huh. barely read the one that was assigned to us. <laughs> and as far as I know, that there, there's even like a lot of pushback now against the initial book. But I think the difference was like the teens one had like blue jeans on the cover. Mm. Okay, <laughs> right. Uh, but that that kind of was it for I think mm. my my scholastic education in that and. I think, yeah, everything else would kind of, you would kind of be informed by what you were seeing on the internet or TV shows and stuff. And I guess by the time I was in high school, there would have been like enough like of that HBO and even some Netflix, like kind of like that provocative uh, type of uh, TV show that like could kind of get away with more than like network TV. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah, like not. The, not that I think Game of Thrones was particularly great at informing me about how no. sex worked. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not the best for, for no. role models. Luckily, luckily, I I don't think I uh, I took any of that to heart. But mm-hmm. you know, well, that's the thing though, because you know, you're having you have shows and things that present situations that could also be bad but in the show's context makes sense for what's happening. But then if you don't have the background Mm -hmm. or the education behind it to understand that can be a a role model or that can be something Mm -hmm. to look at. Not necessarily that it's that black and white. I don't think it's a Mm -hmm. cause and effect relationship. That's so this to that, but yeah, I know definitely like with, with porn in particular that that's happened and that's one of the biggest concerns. And I think that's, you know, partly even Mm -hmm. like through TikTok and through other things, you see content creators kind of discuss that and point that out as problematic and point certain things as to like what's looked for, what's an honor and whatever as seen in passing. And I think, you know, because, yeah, I I think even with like public education, I went to public Mm -hmm. high school and it was kind of like it wasn't bad, you know, but I can't Mm -hmm. remember anything. I remember our our senior year teacher showed us her like C-section so that was weird but like (laughs) you know i mean not that it's like anything like weird about but she kind of normalized things real quick which in a way i was like i'd rather do you remember remember what grade you got on that i mean it was a video we just watched it wasn't like a test in the in the class i was gonna i was gonna gonna, gonna make a joke about you getting a c on it (laughs) oops. yeah i mean still though a c-section is Mm. so different from actually oh yeah yeah exactly Uh, yeah that was the thing it was so it depended on who you had it depended on what Mm -hmm. teacher wanted to teach you a certain way teacher is teaching uh (laughs) well yeah because like sex ed well because i had very different ones i mean one was just like you know your your average gym teacher straight male who was very uncomfortable and kind of didn't want to be there but was gonna be very you know blunt about it and you were like i'm not learning this is very vague and uncomfortable and then like senior year it was kind of like you know some of you have children it is what it is let's just talk i guess and it was still not that helpful in high school i remember there were people talking about how oh you have to do this one health class and you have to watch a video of uh a bait of a vaginal birth and it just never happened and i don't know how that worked that i never either I didn't have that teacher or I never took that class because mm-hmm. I had maybe taken another class that fulfilled the credit or something. But in high school, I never, I never saw that. I don't, yeah. I guess I must've just skipped health two or whatever by accident. I, I don't know. Cause I was, <laughs> I don't know, learning to wrap ankle injuries or something. Hmm. I think huh. of that uh, quote from mean girls where Mm. it's a gym teacher who's teaching sex ed and he says something Mm. like um don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die (laughs) (laughs) you know like that's it's it's yeah something that you know i think that that's like the main lesson that these Mm -hmm. teachers are trying to really tell their students is to have this fear towards sex that you know that either you'll get pregnant or you'll get an std Mm -hmm. And it'll be yeah. the end of your life instead of, um, you mm. know, kind of teaching that like this is this is a great form of expression. You know, this is a form of mm-hmm. like intimacy of connection. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I think of like the opposite side of that, like having the hippie parent that's like sex is beautiful, you know, like and the vagina is a flower. And I think that there needs to be like a, a balance in between those two. Yeah. But, you know, like yeah. it. it 
tells about like the repercussions, but also like the benefits of it as well. Not just yeah, like with a partner, but also for your own health, you know, for your own blood circulation Mm -hmm. and your mental health and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, um, I mean, sort of like to kind of jump back into uh, the historical side of it, picking back up on that. It's interesting you bring up the hippie thing because a lot of the moral stuff that and and hang-ups and stuff that we have left over from the 80s is in part reaction to the 60s and 70s where you know you had you had free love you had people being more uh open about uh this kind of stuff and then in the 80s you had people you had people mostly on the right pointing to the cults, the sexual abuse, mm. AIDS, mm. Um, and drug addicts. Mm-hmm. And they could point to all of those things as proof that this didn't work and that we need to, you know, clamp back down and, and have some kind of authority on these things. And, you know, it then sort of swings back the other way. And, you know, I, I, I think you know, not not to say that the the sixties and seventies did not have lasting impacts, but you know, they there certainly was a a reaction of you know, in partially in partially to blame of the media and the politicians. Um, but there there was sort of that fear of like what's going to happen to our children if they go through the things that now that era of adults remembered uh from the sixties and seventies. And then sort of seeing uh, repercussions from uh, from that happening. Um, one thing that I thought was an interesting historical anecdote from this period is uh, the story of Linda Lovelace. She was a uh, an adult film star born in 1949, uh, lived until 2002, and she was most famous for starring in the... Uh, in the uh, pornographic film Deep Throat from 1972. You know, this was an unprecedented movie just in terms of how much money it made and how much mainstream popularity it had because pornography at that time was, you know, a thing. This this is where our contemporary stereotypical image of CD apartments and you know gangsters running the scene and everything and you know, all these exploited girls and everything this is where our image partially comes from because you know for some people that was kind of their experience back then of all all of this stuff since there was no internet all of these films were being distributed by the mob and therefore mixed in with what would otherwise just be a video of a couple having sex or something mixed in with that, you know, you're also um, distributing snuff films and videos of bestiality and, uh, you know, child pornography and just truly horrific and disgusting things. And unfortunately that sort of all got associated with, uh, with uh, each other, you know, it fit into people's idea even of, you know, gay men being pedophiles, uh, mm. that they're just sort of coming out of 
the era of, you know, even homosexuality being viewed as a disease and categorized mm -hmm. as such. You know, this is, uh, you know, becoming more normalized, but there would still have been plenty of people that remembered it, that, that would have been alive and adults in the uh, 40s and 50s. So basically she becomes that symbol of 70s chic pornography of you know the the Hugh Hefner playboy after dark type thing where you had sexual art and erotic art as a part of mainstream culture this was a this was a cultural touchstone people would have seen this you know for an extremely low budget this movie made 600 million dollars nobody was expecting it to to do this you know it wasn't even technically a um a feature-length film it was only uh, about an hour long uh so uh the the screen actors guild wouldn't consider it a movie <laughs> and uh it, basically the the premise of the film is that linda lovelace's character has her clitoris is in her is deep in her throat so she can't enjoy uh -huh. sex unless she is deep throating <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> right as you can imagine the plot writes itself uh <laughs> so you know and, and then she sort of went on to film some other things after that i think she did deep throat too but there was no um it was not rated x it was rated r um she had another film that was uh kind of was famous but not as well loved called uh linda lovelace for president where she travels around the country and there's a joke about uh her route map being shaped like a penis you know it, it's just sort of like that fun what we what we sort of as a culture looked at as like this fun sexy free thing and then later in the 80s and 90s Linda Lovelace, uh, she, she, you know, doesn't really seem to have much success outside of the 70s, um, sort of goes, nobody hears from her for a while. And then in the 80s, she turns back up on, um, in, on the national stage. She's, you know, now a mother, she's remarried. And she basically says her husband at the time, uh, Chuck Trainer, uh, repeatedly abused her, had her, uh, basically gang raped at gun at gunpoint you know she did not want to uh she alleges that you know she did not want to do the uh, acts uh for a film and uh you know he he forced her into uh sex work uh she you know just says that everything that she did she was uh forced or coerced to do even the twelve hundred and fifty dollars she was paid to do deep throat again remember that movie made 600 million dollars mm. uh Jeez. and she got 1250 dollars for it oh wow. even that she says her then husband chuck trainer took from her um she was you know she makes allegations about uh him and that the uh the director of deep throat was also complicit in all of this and this is where we get into kind of a weird territory because she basically comes out as a born-again Christian, very anti-pornography. She is, uh, you know, a, a, a figurehead of the, the anti-porn movement. It sort of, it, it 
gets a, a little muddy just because she is ta- she be is is very evangelical. She is very taking this from a Christian perspective, and I think we're in a place now where we want to believe women when they come forward with these kinds of stories because it seems it it you know we we know more of what was going on behind the scenes of these things. She mm-hmm. sort of says, you know, when you are watching me in Deep Throat, you are watching me be raped. Mm. And that is a that is a a powerful sentiment to people that kind of even want to watch it in a campy way. Uh-huh. Uh where where we want to kind of look at these relics of a time period where this was so scandalous that there was a movie, a mainstream movie where a woman uh gives a blowjob. So it, it it even sort of makes it difficult to enjoy it in that in that camp way because I think we now we look back on I think old pornography and we kind of almost want to laugh. You know, it's there's there's an awkwardness right. to a lot of it. Mm-hmm. There is that, you know, that lack of plot that uh, uh you alluded to earlier. The um, you know, the 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 sound of a clavinet with a wah pedal on it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> which i recently discovered i can do on my keyboard so i've been doing that a lot oh there you go um, <laughs> um and i i i don't want to i i do not want to make it sound like that i i don't believe her that you know she was assaulted and that she was coerced um that being said, you know, there were a lot of other people involved in the production, including a, a cameraman, a Larry Ravine of a uh, of one of her films, who then claims she was a willing participant of everything. She was incredibly uh, open sexually to almost anything, uh, as sort of reflected by the films she was in. Mm-hmm. And these are mostly men claiming that she was open to all of this and also part of it when you hear interviews of her she at least the interviews i saw she is someone that associates all of this all of pornography and all sort of erotic art she even had an objection to you know a to the venus de milo uh the, the ancient statue Wow. As all of this as violence against women that uh, homosexuals or pedophiles or at least associated, she has that Christian bent to her and is trying, I think, in some way to distance herself from the things that she participated in. I, I do I, again, I do not want to make it sound like I'm doubting that mm. that she was uh, coerced in some way or that there, she was put in situations that she did not have the power to say no and therefore could not consent. I I I want to I want to say that full full stop. Mm. Um I could also maybe see a situation where between the drugs and not understanding fully what was going on at the time, I could also see a situation where she was kind of into some of this. And then when things took a more violent turn between her and Chuck Trainer, because I I definitely believe her that Chuck Trainer was abusing her, mm-hmm. uh, I I could see her wanting to distance herself, and then her finding Jesus basically wanting to distance herself even further. So I 
I think, you know, she doesn't necessarily draw all of the right conclusions from it. You know, she definitely has more a, a prohibition standpoint on pornography uh, or, and on sex work in general. You know, she uh, she even claims in one interview, she says, um, you know, some women are in it because they want to and some are not, which is an interesting nuance, mm -hmm. you know, that she's willing to recognize that there are uh, women in sex work that are are willing but her conclusion that some are not is prohibition, which, as we, I think, are, are more and more aware, leads to more violence mm -hmm. against sex workers, that ma making these things illegal makes it more difficult to enforce protections for, right. uh, the, for right, those yeah. people. So this is an incredibly difficult thing to talk through because you're dealing with a victim who is, I think, further, unfortunately, further dehumanizing the people involved and, you know, was pushing for more censorship. And I think this is sort of the reality of that time period of the 80s, where you had, you know, the, the incoming reactionary Christian right um, trying to tone down the liberation of the 60s and 70s which you know part of that was good part of that was bad you know the 60s and 70s were uh guys can just do whatever they want man you know mm. we know that's mm. not there there are some more caveats to that sentiment that that was uh a, a sort of instance of history that i was very fascinated in uh re researching about listening to her in interviews and reading about just sort of because of that, trying to understand how I feel about this, someone who clearly had a, had a horrific experience, but maybe, you know, I, I can't even, um, but, but that I can also find myself disagreeing with. Uh, and, and maybe that's just because I haven't been through those things, or maybe that's just because I'm from a different time period than her, you know? Uh, hmm. it, it's, uh, it's difficult to parse out. Yeah, I I kind of I guess from the same time period I think of Ted mm -hmm. Bundy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> which uh <laughs> I found it really interesting how like I think there were they call them the Ted Bundy tapes or something like that where right. um yeah. It was the tapes that he recorded an interview right before um he he died in prison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um and he the interview asked him why are you violent towards women? Like, when did this begin? How did this start? Mm -hmm. Or what's the mm -hmm. cause of it? And he blamed it on pornography. He said that if he mm. had not been um, exposed to pornography at a young age, that maybe then his his extreme like aggression and violence towards women wouldn't have manifested the way that it had. Um, because he felt like starting with pornography, he couldn't be aroused unless it got more and more extreme. Um, mm. And we see kind of, you know, we wonder about today how there's, yeah. there's so much violence in pornography and how is it affecting men today? Um, mm -hmm. But then also, you know, there's also pornography that is, that's showing that's more inclusive, more diverse. Um, and mm -hmm. so I don't think that it's fair to lump everything together mm -hmm. Um, no, certainly I th not. You know. I, I think you can you can address the violence um, without uh, 
Yeah, and, and and then, you know, also recognizing healthy, consensual relationships like that. But I think that there's people that don't understand that and don't understand that about human relationships. It's, uh, it's, and, and maybe, and don't understand. I mean, I mean, we, we've been dealing with people not understanding the nuances of Lolita for a mm-hmm. long time now. Yeah. And other works of fiction that like, you know, you want to ban them because they have unsavory things in them. But, you know, that's that's almost sort of the point of those things. And I right. think even now, more recent studies, you know, we're trying to understand now, now that we have this generation that was raised on the Internet, we have people that have been watching porn, some of it violent since they were very young. From what I understand and from what I have read in research for this it seems like there are certain things that the brain is desensitized to in in those developmental years. However, uh, it seems like the research would suggest, at least uh, the thing that I was reading from 2017, which is a couple of years ago, but fairly recent, um, that yes, there is a correlation between men who are violent towards women and men who like violent porn. However, it seems like that is something that they are more into because they already had violent tendencies towards women. Mm. Mm. And maybe that statistic will change as time goes on and we have bigger sample sizes. But at the moment, it you know, again, I think that sounds like, your example at least sounds like Ted Bundy trying to distance himself from his own actions, which exactly. you see a lot of, you see yeah. a lot of serial killers do that. You see oh, a lot yeah. of people wanting to blame something else for the terrible things they did. And I, you know, I'm I'm someone that believes in a mixture of nature and nurture by all by all means, you know. Mm-hmm. But I I think that there's also room in that equation for people that don't want to take responsibility for yeah uh, for you know their their own prejudices and their own uh, hatred and hangups. But th- this did you know. This did uh, start a a a a thing about censorship that continues to this day. You know, Mm -hmm. I um, as as far as you know, now now we're in a uh, an an OnlyFans world, but Mm -hmm. you know, we're also post Tumblr porn ban, and we're also you know, uh, and and you would know more about this than us, I suppose. But uh, uh, Flores out, but the um, just what you know, Instagram and, and photo sharing platforms have in terms of, in terms of art, because I feel like, you know, I feel like I don't stumble upon outright, uh, porn on Instagram that often. However, you know, I follow a lot of artists and plenty of artists have nude models and, uh, nude photography. And some of it, there, there seems to be things that they can post and there seems to be things they cannot post. Um, I don't know if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, um, I've noticed that the censorship is, I think why it's a problem is that it, it seems very unfair um, because the people who end up being censored are, they're either women, you know, women who are trying to take ownership of their own bodies by, you know, sharing photos of themselves, or it's yeah. um, queer artists who are trying to, mm-hmm. you know, depict like um, LGBTQI uh, sexual expression. Um, right. Whereas like the male artists who are, you know, just perpetuating mm-hmm. this like this one ideal, 
um, mm-hmm. they their platforms remain untouched. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so like their content is allowed to to continue to be viewed, mm. whereas all of these other artists are silenced who are trying to kind of break away from that one mold. Um, mm. So yeah, it's it's definitely a common thing in the erotic art community to see accounts that have not only their main account, but then also a backup because they know that at any time Instagram could come by and just delete their account and they lose all of their work. They lose all of their following and they have to start from zero. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially when like as an artist, I I kind of struggle with having to use Instagram to really like Mm -hmm. share and, you know, really just to have exposure for my art because, um, it just seems very fickle, <laughs> like, you know, like there's, yeah. it, uh, there's no really security to it. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, fortunately for me, I have not had any of my content deleted. I haven't had anything reported. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how I have been so lucky to kind of fly under the censorship radar. Um, mm-hmm. maybe I, I have my ideas, you know, of why that is, um, but it's something that I worry about, you know, like in the future, um, right. because I, I know that it's, it's inevitable at some point, <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah, it's going to happen. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult even now, you know, cause we watched, we watched, uh, you know, all of the, uh, content be removed from Tumblr and a lot of that was, I, I think just nudity in general. Like mm-hmm. I, th- I think all of that, because I, I I remember posting a um I remember posting a sketch of a figure study, and that getting taken down, and that was when I realized, wow. oh, they're going after everything. This isn't just you know, um, people with uh revenge porn accounts. Mm-hmm. This is they're going after uh all new pictures of 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 anything with nudity in it um and you're you know you're seeing people who have even you know sexual education tiktoks be removed yeah and content removed you know that they have to talk around certain things i i know there, there's other censorship issues with tiktok as well you know it being a a chinese company there's a lot of uh there's a lot of um tiktokers that i've seen at least that like trying to um they they like trying to mention uh tiananmen square and like see how it gets censored Mm. um on the map yeah so i i think it's uh it's an issue that's not just i i i don't i don't think it's too much of an overstatement to say this is an issue that affects all of us and affects all of our freedom of expression because this highlights how everyone's work then is under the scrutiny of someone else if they go to go back earlier like if they know it when they see it you know what does that leave Mm -hmm. what does that leave things open for because i i understand in a certain sense like okay we don't want to create recreate rotten.com where you you can watch videos of people getting executed and you know uh and 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 you know more uh more violent stuff and yet it seems like this is more being used to make things appeal to uh, a a select group set of the population's sensibilities and Mm -hmm. 
if they can censor that, what else can they censor? What else can they kind of control goes out there? Uh, it, it, it's, it's something that affects, I think, all artists then. And, you know, the understanding that we do not have control and ownership over these platforms that make it possible for us to have an audience. Exactly. That's kind of the, the irony and the bit of the, um, the scary part of this as well. Like I think with social media, you know, it's had, it's, it's complicated, obviously. I think we all know the, the nuance to that because I think there is some, you know, I think there's some things that do need to be protected. I don't think there has to be certain things, uh, like, yet I don't even want to get into it. It doesn't even matter, but you know, there, there is some like bad things. I think that just shouldn't be displayed, especially, you know, with like revenge porn and other things. But I also think like you fall into mm-hmm. this, this issue so fast because people, because really the way it's set up too, it's a, it's a private, these private organizations, they kind of call the rules, but then they make it out to be like, we're all connected. But then mm-hmm. asterisks, because there's a lot of ifs said different things that are there. And I think that that is, it's fascinating. And it's also terrifying yeah. in this way. Like, cause I look at like, yeah. you know, remember like, I think back in December, everybody was kind of like, Oh, well, Facebook's removing free speech. So we're going to move to parlor. And then that got shut down in like five minutes, you know, like mm-hmm. this idea. And like, I think justifiably so on certain things like this. And this is something Facebook had to deal with for years and just ignored, but it's kind of like, this is, it feels like the trend of all these sites have been like, Ooh, the spotlight's on us. Well, pull the plug. We got to just erase the certain part or oh nudity's the problem all right get rid of it all like mm-hmm. they they they'll purge and they'll remove what artists they need to and what work they need to in order to kind of look good but i feel like they also end up missing the problem and i feel like even on instagram that's yeah. kind of been called into question with posting artwork you know at least even for myself it's why i don't really post as much as i used to because i'm also kind of questioning well, what does this do to my work? What, how is this being shown or how can this be mm-hmm. displayed? And oftentimes I think even like, you know, like I, I like to play with that idea too a lot in my own practice, but like, you know, just providing things for people to see, putting the work out there for free, it, it exists. It's a part of the digital sphere. But then, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's that it's that question of ownership and also of just that constant fear that it sounds like a lot of artists are having right now, which is, am I going to be shadow banned tomorrow? Is mm-hmm. my work going to be taken down? And because I think Instagram and the bots and also the people who can, you know, are, are monitoring this maybe don't have that sensitivity to an art historical lineage and to mm-hmm. what is being made. So what, you know, what happens with that and who gives those people the right, I think, to kind of look at it in this way or I, I feel like there's just so much nuance to it and, and, and complication, mm-hmm. but I guess that's also, it, it's definitely a big question of mine. I feel like it's been at the forefront of a lot of others as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the future holds for it. I feel, I feel like something, maybe something similar to what happened to Tumblr will happen mm-hmm. at some point with Instagram where, you know, mm-hmm. it'll just be like no nudity at all. Um, <sighs> God. no mario no more mario can't show up no more mario nipples nope can't do it God, i mean geez. it's but at the same time i think that also with censorship um it it kind of forces artists to become even more creative because yet again yeah, there's another thing, yeah. there's another obstacle that you have to kind of work through you know just like with the with the japanese art depicting you know like sex with monsters instead 
I mean, it's crazy that that is deemed more appropriate than just two human beings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the lengths. Right. But, but yeah. Yeah. Doing it. Doing a perfectly normal and healthy thing. You know. And then. You know. Or. <laughs> I, I. 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 I don't know about the octopus monster, but. Yeah. 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 I. I th- this is. This is a a fascinating subject and. I I'm I'm glad that we're we're we can still try to find ways to uh in, enjoy enjoy art sort of made in this vein and sort of keep all of these things in mind mm-hmm. as well. I you know, it is it's all a part of a conversation of censorship, but it's also, yeah. you know, uh a part of our larger sexual revolution whether or not people even want to have sex or consume stuff like this this is part of a bigger human experience and therefore worthy of being an art you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely uh, well this has been this has been a really uh really really great uh conversation i think here at the uncanny county museum uh, i'd really love to thank our guest florizel for coming on um uh, do you have uh, any uh, projects, anything you'd like to plug? Of course, people should check out her Instagram account, Amorous Bodies. Uh, and uh, yeah, where can people, uh, what uh, can, can people find your work for sale? Uh, how does, uh, uh, <laughs> how does that, how, how does, how does this newfangled Instagram work? <laughs> um, well, I am currently selling prints on Etsy. Um, my mm-hmm. shop is called Amherst Bodies, same as my Instagram account. Um, and I will be opening up to commissions custom art soon. Um, yeah, I'm excited for nice. that. Um, and I am curating a show for uh, peopleandpaintings.com. Oh, it's a, a gallery wow. based in New York. Um, and so this is an online exhibition that's titled Touch, and it's all about um human connection and how physical touch is so important in, in developing a connection, not only, you know, Mm. erotic, but also in platonic or familial um, relationships. So that's happening in August. And if you're an artist, please apply online. Um, We are currently taking submissions. Wow. Fabulous. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Definitely check Mm -hmm. all of that out. Uh, Please look at her artwork. It is beautiful. Yes. uh and sexy <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is i i i love getting to hear more about how an artist approaches their work and hopefully we can have even more exhibitions like this in the future um mm-hmm. joe you got anything to plug um not really nothing much yet just my work the midnight drive available on radiopavese.org feel free to check it out. I have some new projects and stuff in the works, but until then it's a secret. Mm. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, my band Mothman, which you can find at Mothman band on Instagram. We are playing two shows uh, coming up. Um, as far as I know, these might be your only chances to see Mothman this mm. summer. So if you are in the St. Pete Clearwater area, we're going to be playing at Ocha lounge the 20th of May. And then we are playing on uh, Driftwoods Roastery the 4th of June. Hmm. So you should definitely uh, 
come and, you know, listen to some music as uh, people in Florida are getting vaccinated and stuff is opening back up. And, uh, oh, I also have my show uh, at um, part of a group exhibition uh, at the Limner Gallery called Arte Natura in, um, in Hudson, New York on July 10th. So, you know, ca- I'm casting a wide net, hopefully. Busy boy. Busy man <laughs> over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, just, just, just listing off the, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. If you want to follow the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Thanks again to our guest, Florizel, for coming on. This has been wonderful. Hopefully we can do some more uh, uh, group discussions like this in the future. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to have you back on again in, at some point. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah thank, thank you. you thank you <laughs> from, the uncan- <laughs> from the uncanny county museum i have been zan peters and i've been joe Semino. and i've been floaty <laughs> thank you bye